This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, the designated investment business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Thursday the 11th of May. With me today I have Isabel Sterling. Isabel is a successful corporate fashion and media executive, having worked at Condé Nast both in the US and UK, and the luxury fashion marketplace Farfetch. Since the early 2000s, Isabel has been on the front line of a constantly changing industry and consumer, honing her skills at Farfetch to become an entrepreneur. More on that to follow. Now, after two decades, Isabel has decided to take a step in a new direction and has founded Inner Friend which we'll come on to later. Isabel, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Thank you for having me. Oh, a complete pleasure. How about we start with your approach to life and your professional career? Yes. Well, Nick, it is just beginning again. And I see my life as a series of very long sprints, 20-year sprints. So where I was at 22, 42, 62, and God willing, 82. Um, Each sprint for me is an opportunity not just to gain more professional sort of acumen, and go another step up the ladder. It's very much about gaining new skills, learnings to get me to the next iteration of myself. So I've always had a very holistic approach to my personal and professional life. They're interwoven, they go together. And my drive has always been a compelling desire to keep moving forward, Mm -hmm. um, keep growing, keep learning. So my first 20 years, I started in the 80s in a very Catholic parochial Ireland and from a very young age I was always bursting to do everything and anything I could any opportunity that came my way um, any new media I could consume any new ideas I could consume I was all over it I was the kid who contacted the company with diagrams to show them and tell them how they should improve their product yeah Um, very driven very competitive but always willing to experiment with any opportunity so I was the first to have a job the first to live alone so I did well at school I ended up studying biochemistry at university a little known fact Um, I did a marketing diploma then at the Smurfit Business School. And once I kind of hit all those early doors goals, I knew that sprint was largely done. And that got me up to that Mm -hmm. 22 age. And I was on to the next. I kind of ticked those boxes. So I pinpointed New York. I pinpointed Condé Nast. I knew I wanted to work in a place in an industry that was fast, that was fun, that was at the culture of the time, that was going to be innovating in a new way. So I started to lay the, the foundation for my next sprint. And of course, then the path is never linear, yep. but it's all very interconnected. So my time in New York was hugely powerful and important for my professional development. I knew I wasn't going to be a scientist or a doctor, yep. that was clear. But I had to take those early door skills, that analytical mind, that data science, that statistics background, and I had to convert them into a career. So I managed to land a job at a consumer purchase data platform called Affinity Solutions. Um, I had my degree, as I said, in stats and analytics. I had those in my toolkit. They took me on, and they were very ahead of their time. 
Um, they were very focused on early consumer behaviors in the on and offline work, and they were working with big banks, mm -hmm. developing loyalty programs around those principles. So I knew I could add value there. And little did I know that 10 years later, working at a company like Farfetch, consumer behavior on and offline was going to be an integral part to driving me to succeed at a very, very different company. So three kind of key things learning in those early days in New York was, um, and, and specifically um, within both the, the early roles I had at a kind of very data-driven company all the way through to Condé Nast, which was around brand and speaking directly to a consumer through beautiful media, mm -hmm. was work ethic. And I think that's a given, but I think when you're younger in your career, if you don't know your passion, which is where I was, it's very important to know how to get things done. I think people forget that. Um, if you know the value of yourself and you know that you can execute well, learning how to say something and actually do it, learning how to make a vision or a project to life, taking that and running with it really sets you apart and doing that well and doing that consistently. So, so really how to get things done was something that I saw and those, those early sort of managers really, really modeled that for me. Um, and the value of those early mentors, the so people that you start to, you know, you, you, you do largely work for people earlier in career, but actually if you start to see them as people who can really guide you and build that yeah. relationship with them, it's, it's a completely different experience. So I was really fortunate to meet some very pivotal mentors at that time. Um, I worked closely um, with the CEO, Jonathan Silver, the still CEO of that consumer a data company and he was a solid New York entrepreneur so like a dogged determination he was in everybody's doors um, a relentless work ethic but a very quirky sense of humor and willing to experiment and that was a term at Farfetch that we used a lot test and learn test yeah. and learn but I learned that from the very early days um, and I think you know having humor and openness around that really taught me how to be a leader but also how to be human and that was something I really took forward with me when I started to run and grow my own team at Farfetch. He pushed me. I was in there at weekends. I was front of clients I had no business being in front of. I was getting hammered by people who had far more experience than me at the time. But he treated every success and every failure as a learning curve. He showed trust, determination. He showed openness and not to take it all so seriously. So, so again, you know, from him to say an individual like Anna Winter, mm -hmm. who we'll talk a little bit later, you know, when you're working with some of the best in the business who are building businesses in some of the toughest cities in the world, I think, you know, when you're beginning your career or indeed as you move up the ladder, it's important to take a step back and think of that broader context versus just the day-to-day -day reality of how you perform. And then I think the third thing that I took from that time was definitely taking risks, um, making mistakes. I was brave, far braver than I am yeah. now. Um, and I learned a great deal about myself, many highs, many lows. So I was with those guys for three years. We launched some very early successful subscriber programs at Condé Nast. I got to meet the team there and that the rest they say then is, is history. Um, I fortunately found my way in there and began my true kind of media and publishing uh, career in, in New York in the early 2000s, which was which was the heyday. It was pre-Lehman, mm -hmm. pre-financial crash, and advertising revenues were at all-time highs. Access was at all-time highs. And I was fortunate to be working for some of the biggest personalities in the industry. I didn't really understand it at the time. You were just caught in the whirlwind of doing. But it was really quite a fortunate position I found myself in. So people like, as I mentioned, Anna Wintour, the longtime editor of US Vogue, and now chief brand officer of Condé Nast International, and sort of, sort of, 
famous national entrepreneurs like Jason Bin, who were running um, national media companies in top-tier cities across the US. Now, these were big personalities. They're kind of caricatures now in their own right. But they were the best in the business at that time. There's a lot of noise and showmanship and spectacle working in media at that time. But they took their business very seriously. And that's why they're still around today. They had staying power. And that was... You know, there's three things I, weren't, I learned from those guys directly. It was learning how to add value and quickly. Mm-hmm. All the way from the top, I would see them in meetings with big ex- executives, really figuring out how they could add value in every meeting or at any intersection. Um, and a high-performing environment, which is what we were in, is always naturally very competitive. So making sure people know why you're there, what you're doing, how you're adding value to them, um, is you know even beyond doing the day job is, is really really important and that will keep you competitive and that will keep you present for for longer um storytelling and brand building wow you know we were just selling pictures on paper mm-hmm. we were selling stories we were selling images um but everybody i knew didn't uh reduce it to that they knew how important that was they knew that that was our currency um, the way that we told those stories, how we presented those stories, not just to the reader, but to the partners, the advertisers, how consistent we were in that story, um, you know, representing ourselves with a healthy dollop of newness and relevancy, being those cultural arbiters, that's not easy. That's not easy. And to do that over, say, Condé Nast is over 100 mm-hmm. years old now, to do that consistently is about manifesting that in every single detail of everything that you do, every presentation that you create, every meeting that you attend any consumer facing initiatives that you're creating that attention to detail and that execution was flawless I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again in my career and I definitely don't think it's you know it was a different it was a different time and I'm not sure that the same importance is put on that but that's why those brands remain and indeed in the luxury industry that attention to detail that ability to storytell that ability to brand build with that level of scrutiny is why those LVMHs of the world continue to conquer why they're you know, revenues are now in the billions, why we're tipping into a whole new scale of luxury overall. Um, And they also taught me the importance of innovation to grow. So media was changing rapidly at the time, and media by its very nature is changing, it's changing again. Um, I was fundamentally part of a legacy publisher at that time, right? We were relying heavily, 90% of the the revenues was coming from print and subscription models, um, where all around us, digitization was exploding, early blogs were beginning, and ad tech was exploding everywhere. People were experimenting, people were creating greater efficiencies, you could reach millions more eyeballs than just putting a print ad in a magazine. So it was really challenging. And I was part of that initial Vogue.com launch. And we needed to come up with a big and bold way to put that in the same competitive set as, say, a Gawker, which was a mm-hmm. new site at the time. Yeah. That was exactly where our audience was going to start to compete. Um, and we were tasked, or we tasked ourselves indeed, with let's sell 20 £1 million sponsorships for a one-year residency to 20 of you know the, the, the top brands, not any brands, the top brands that will be our partners. And we took an innovative approach to selling that. We you know, deemed the product unique and the approach unique, and it it paid off. We focused on our strengths. We focused on the formats. We focused on the ability to create big, beautiful pictures, the experience, the early user experience, taking them on that journey, and indeed then the partnership with the partner. They were in good company. Some of the fundamentals, but again, you had everybody in that space talking about clicks, impressions, reach, data, return, and we didn't have them. We were selling sponsorships to something that didn't exist 
But again, a strong brand, the beauty of the image, the thought leadership, the position we'd already earned. We played to our strengths and we thought innovatively and that helped us to grow again. So I guess net-net, the opportunity to learn from the best, if you have it, jump on it at any stage in our career. I think we tend to forget that. Mm -hmm. Especially when you start to master your own career, you forget to look around the room and see who is continually upskilling and who might be actually bringing more value and can you learn from them. Um, there's a reason that people master new things and become the best at what they do at all stages because you can learn something for them. And I think all of those experiences have set my expectations very high, um, especially today in the world of media and social media, quality content um, from an authority that you really have affection for or you respect is few and far between. Mm -hmm. I think that's why long form content like podcasts and Substack are having um, such popularity. Um, so I, I imagine there's more of a relationship yeah. with the viewer or the reader or your subscriber than short form Instagram reels. Exactly. Like that felt very innovative in the beginning and you were able to consume a lot of newness, but over time it's just a lot of newness that's not actually building into anything new or building into a new relationship. So it is, um, you're starting to see that maturation happen now. And then having that authority and having that um, trust between your, your yourself and your audience is going to become more and more important now because there's just more proliferation. Yep. Everybody has the opportunity to create content. You know, I think content creators are going to be the new billionaires of say the next 10, 20 years because they are going to be the ones that are fundamentally going to be creating that discerning editorial point of view on the great big internet. Yep. So, so there, there is um, an, a, a plethora of, of uh, content, but what's going to be the discerning factor and the deciding factor is how authoritative, how deep, how much you can build a relationship, for sure. And then a move back to the UK? Yes. Um, so I had, again, hit all my mile markers in New York, completed that kind of mini sprint, and I took a holistic look again at my growth, and I decided, yeah, it's time, time to... I wanted to be closer to home. I wanted to build a family. I didn't want to do that in the US. So I transitioned to the UK market, came to Condé Nast in the UK, had my children there and was there for nearly five years. And that was really good fun, a great way to integrate back into European ways mm -hmm. of doing business, which is completely different to the US. Um, but I could see the writing on the wall. And after I had my second child, I knew I needed to innovate in my own professional career. I was still within a very legacy publishing media environment. I had learned kind of what I needed to learn as regards building brand and telling stories and representing um, that in a, in a professional manner. So I needed to move to a product-driven organization, preferably within luxury, but something much more technical and something where I could challenge myself again. So I put feelers out there and I successfully landed the role at Farfetch. And I was actually hired by my um, original boss at Vogue in New York, who was the CMO there at the time and, and still a board member. And she called me and she said, look, I need somebody who's going to help me deepen the relationships with our partners. Yep. Right? We're racing towards IPO. We need to give them more than just the distribution on the marketplace. Um, she knew I knew the luxury brands well. She knew I could talk to them in the way that they wanted to be talked to from my Condé Nast days. And um, we needed to give them something new. We needed to think about how we could separate ourselves from those big brands who had earned that trust um we need to show our value as a partner in a different way um innovate with them give them tools to get closer to their customer and also grow a new revenue stream yes <laughs> so that was that was the key part um so even from those early days it was always very different an innovative approach to 
marketplace advertising, advertising in general, retail media now, if that's that's what they like to call it. So I said, yeah, I can do that. Um, remember, I like opportunities and opportunities in particular that scared me. So the learning curve was very steep, but I learned two things. We are far more capable than we think we are, mm-hmm. always, 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 especially if you know how to get things done. Execution is 90% yes. of success. It's not just your technical and your market knowledge. It's the lessons, the insight, the past experience, the entrepreneurship, observing the, the sort of best of the best, the importance of innovation. And that set me up on that, what I now call intrapreneur journey and what do you describe or define as an entrepreneur entrepreneur. um well i was you know an entrepreneur basically means you're largely coming at a you're building something new but within the structure and the security of a large organization now that has its benefits but it is very difficult to do um and that's for a variety of reasons and it's you know i'm so fortunate to have that experience because being an entrepreneur in a hyper-growth company that's racing towards IPO, it's hard because you're not core, mm-hmm. right? You're racing towards IPO on your core business and all the focus is on the core business, the resources, the narrative, the conversation. You're there to build into the bigger vision of what comes after. So you have to build alongside that massive force that's racing towards that IPO journey. And it meant then I had to develop and I had to develop very quickly. So I had to really think about what I'd learned and I had to take this, not just lessons, the technical knowledge and the, the executional roadmap. I was very, very good at writing the strategy and the, the operational layer to deliver on that. I was like, but why? What is the insight that's going to help me actually create relevancy for this within this organization? Why, why do they need to yeah. keep us around? We were nice to have. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really incredibly fortunate um, to have had that experience. And I'm so grateful to the executives who gave me that at the time because it was very early doors. I think I was employee 300 and it's now an organization of say 6,000 people. Um, and some of the sort of key learnings I had from there that I had to learn fast were um, a keen kind of eye for spotting opportunities and synergies. This was definitely the biggest uh, learning for me. Um, it's hardest from the inside to show your worth because, again, everybody's working not against yeah. you but on a different track. And you have to convince the core business to adapt and integrate you at certain points. You just have to, right? You're part of the marketplace and you have to be, you have to have a presence within it. So I had to become incredibly cross-functional. Remember, I'd come from industry, which was completely linear and direct. Mm -hmm. You have a product, you sell it, and that's the end of it, right? And you're all working in one solid roadmap. We didn't work in roadmaps at the time, but it was about a transaction. Now I was working across multiple different functions in a product-driven organization and I had to be cross-functional I had to learn all of those organizations from the ground up and figure out how could we adapt our product within their functions to fundamentally deliver value to the end customer which was partners on the platform so we need to extrapolate all of that value out to the end customer package it product market it and sell it Um, and I remember we were building the first we built the first ad product very rudimentary display product and we did the big reveal and my own functional unit were like we're not having that they showed the biggest resistance um and only by me showing the other units and the upside mm-hmm. to the other teams both on the PL and both mm-hmm. from a brand perspective and a deepening sort of our our key partners relationships was i able to fundamentally circumnavigate them and, and continue on the journey so yeah, spotting synergies, spotting opportunities, again, showing where you can add value, really, really important. And being cross-functional, coming from an organization that was entirely linear, like media, like finance, a really, really great yep. learning. Um, that matched then with the long-term vision. So always try and have a very long 
long-term vision of where you're wanting to go. So I remember when I started, I was like, wow, imagine we had a, a new media group, an entirely new offering for marketplace and luxury marketplaces, because that was the currency and that was the vernacular and that's what we talked about. You know, Farfetch was democratizing luxury fashion yeah. at the time, and that was a big vision of Jose's. Um, and that vision then matched again with that great operational plan. You needed to pivot across that as you went through that. So that that vision keeps that plan running, but also allows you to pivot because you fundamentally know where you're going. And you know, it's, as I said, it's not all it's not all linear and you can't be rigid, but you have to be results focused. So you test and learn and you see where you go. So as I said, we were nice to have. So when the going got tough, we were always able to play back what that bigger view was. You know, we do this, it will return, say, the, the, the target we're due to return, but it's also building into a bigger view to get us then over that that next hurdle on that longer term strategic view to build and add deeper value to the partners. Um, you know, we were we were never about advertising in a marketplace. We were never about that Amazon model. It was the luxury Amazon approach, which again they still have not been able to crack because it's yeah. hard it's really hard to do. Yes. The luxury industry is full of idiosyncrasies. I could fill a whole podcast full of stories on that. Um, but we had to reinvent storytelling in a digital environment. We had to explain digital consumer experiences in the luxury arena that could also drive sales. That was the holy grail, but it's very, very hard to do and really radical for those luxury fashion houses. Understanding their customers and adding value to them was integral to our success. We're not just trying to sell them or service them. We had to, we were trying to change a, a landscape entirely, provide new opportunities and new paths to growth, not just for us, but for them in a completely new digital sphere to complete digital laggards. Again, I could fill a whole podcast mm -hmm. with some of the statements. Um, I was actually asked in one meeting, how does that get on the line? And, and that was a really invalid from a wonderful Italian from an, a really one of the most beautiful brands in the world. But this was just not in their sphere. Their creative directors building real physical, tangible products with mm -hmm. craftsmanship. That was an annoyance to them. So we had an opportunity to help that translate into value for them and create something new for them. But we had to really take them on the journey. We understood their needs deeply. I knew how to talk to them. We knew their preferences and they had to be part of that consideration set as we built. We had to design value additive products for them um, because fundamentally, what's the difference between two expensive handbags? We're yep. really going to reduce this down to what it is that they sell. It's the brand. It's the affection for the brand. It's the message around the brand, how they communicate that. And as I said, we were in the business of democratizing all of that. So that was a little scary. So we had to work really hard to show them we understood it. We could value it. We could protect it but also provide the upside of a wider customer understanding to them because they couldn't access that typically from their existing advertising relationships, helping them get closer to their customers' digital behaviors. Again, a lot of them did not have their own direct-to-consumer channels and help them safely experiment. So Omnichannel became a big part yes. of our, our vernacular at that point, looking at new digital formats, looking at an innovative experiences that traversed on and offline. So, um, yeah, getting to know your customer and understanding their needs but also valuing how they've built their businesses that was something that um i really deeply started to understand and value after my at, at my time at farfetch because we were really again at that front line of testing that pushing those brands to their edges we failed but we also succeeded um and that partnership piece that's another key part of what i've learned and again these might sound simple but when you're in them and you're executing them well on the front lines of something that's changing and that's new that's actually quite a nuanced experience and you do get good at that over time putting something new again into a linear environment like i was mm -hmm. selling something 
having a product and selling it quite easy doing something new when you're in a changing landscape and t trying to take people who are changing rapidly with you trusting you to do that that's actually quite a nuanced experience and it takes a lot of um, work to understand how to communicate and get people to trust you and build that relationship so yeah you need to find the right people to do it with so find the right partners people are willing to come on the journey with you and we worked with some of the biggest and best influential kind of celebrities and brands so everyone from Rihanna when she was launching Fenty which is now defunct um, to Kanye West when he was doing his um, collaboration with Balenciaga mm -hmm. to Balenciaga themselves Gucci Ferragamo, who had a, a very new incumbent, new creative director to reinvigorate that brand, AZ Factory, and even doing the dance with LVMH. All those experiences, building relationships with those brands, building the journey together, learning together, really getting into the inner workings of their business, which we were able to do um, because effectively we're an extension of their business as our business model was, um, makes for great working relationships and they can be really rewarding and indeed friendships over time. Um, so yeah, partnership, understanding your customers, and I think then two other big uh, learnings that I can't um, leave behind uh, are, are, are risk taking. Mm -hmm. So it's a common theme amongst the podcast. You really, yeah. really does that come up a lot? I think from my perspective, like yes, knowing how to manage risk, mitigating risk, all really important. Um, and knowing like the financial impact of ensuring the P and L is running to target, all like just the basics. Um, and managing and communicating that, all, all part of the basics. But as a woman, for me, um, it was a really great opportunity to, to grow again, um, to not be afraid of that confrontation. Um, the industry at the time, and still largely is, especially in the executive suite, is, is largely driven by men. And, you know, communicating risk and facing into risk um, is not something to be shied away from. It definitely separates the women from the girls, mm -hmm. it gets you to show your mettle and it shows that you can problem solve or you can capitalize on opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, it's a great discipline to learn and learn early and learn well. Um, and I think I'm always up for the chance to take on a little bit more so that you have that opportunity yeah. then to capitalize on that potential new opportunity, whether the risks are there, you get good at, at you get good at that over time, that's obvious. Um, and then I think finally, building a team, again, very obvious, but two things, you build a team with a vision for the long term. So who are the people who are going to stand up your org in the future? How are you going to lay the groundwork with them? And obviously, being human. So when you start a new function or a new business, you know, people are giving up more than their time. Yes. That's just the reality. Yeah. And you can't forget that. Um, no matter how evangelical you are, and no matter how much they follow you in the, the nine to five, they are giving more commitment, more creativity, more energy, more emotion than you see outside of your time with them. And those early leaders, what that done well and that relationship building with them and being human with them, that creates your culture. That's a really important point. If you want to scale your business, those early days start to create your culture. And that can either, you know, be a positive mm -hmm. or, or a negative. And you know, positively, that can contribute greatly to the future motivation of your organization. Um, they have to see you as a leader, but they also have to see you as a human being. You have to model what you want back from them, but you also have to listen, take feedback, be at your most collaborative, but also be at your most directive, mm -hmm. which is really hard. But ultimately, that's your role to make and live by the decisions that you have for the unit. They are the functional experts. Let them do their jobs. 
and trust them to grow their own fertile patch of the business and everything else will grow. But yeah, being human in those early days, setting the culture early, whether you do it consciously or not, it's happening. So it's really important to yeah. be aware of them as individuals, not just people who are doing a job for you. Um, so Net Night, we had a great time. Um, that brought me up to a year ago. We 10 x our size both in, uh, in six years, both in people and revenue. My remit expanded. The team grew. We had units within different cross-functional areas. I moved into more traditional brand marketing, into a group role, and focused on partnership development at that level. And ultimately, that all came then to that, that crystallization of that initial vision. I was given the mandate and the investment by Jose and Elliot, the, the CFO, to build out the plan to be part of the current group five-year plan as a key strategic initiative to, to kind of um, continue growth. Um, and that would be the vision of a new media group across the platform. But here it comes again. <laughs> I had hit all my markers. Yep. I had hit my goalposts. I took a deep breath. I had come and done what I said I would. And I was again ready to move on. And as I said, that was a year ago. So age 42, reflective. After that last 20-year sprint, I sort of put that firmly into that box. I remember my um, departure presentation to the wider teams they're all kind of looking at me aghast saying you're now's the yeah. time to lean in yeah. why are you walking out the door and i said two things to them which was probably the most honest i've been in my career i said i don't want to do this anymore mm -hmm. and you don't need me anymore it's all grown it's all ready to go you just need to now integrate this into the core business in a way that's going to make it flourish this is now following a roadmap the vision is done the hard work to a certain extent is done it's you know the poc is proven um just take it and run so um yeah i took i i that was a year ago um i i went on gardening leave and now i'm i'm firmly building into that that next 20 years um i enjoyed the drive i took a small idea made it survive in a behemoth business managed to leave a little behind for the next guy um so yeah i was ready to to build again so i have to ask what's <laughs> what's next <laughs> Um, so I thought it was maybe possibly time to now become an entrepreneur in my own right yeah. and kind of define what that is for me. Because again, I always think holistically about my personal and professional growth. I think about where I'm going to be at 62 and what do I want life to look at in its entirety, not just success based on what I can do and achieve. Um, and I think the world's transforming again. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think our existing political and social economic structures are all being challenged in very new ways. I think AI is going to radically change yep. things for us. And I think somewhat collectively we need a new but more sustainable post-consumerist high. Um, or at least, you know, that's, that's how I'm feeling. So that's led me to create Inner Friend. It's, it's very much in the conceptual phase. It's a brand new concept. There is really nothing like it out there now um, and it was born out of a very simple realization i was able to bring a lot of opportunity abundance creativity learnings i was able to build a very rich life relatively unconsciously so i followed the roadmap to the path yep. i i laid with conviction and grit and smarts and imagine what we can what could be done if it was a hundred percent conscious right imagine if it was you know, my heart was 100% in this mission. You know, if you're able to take the opportunities and indeed the privilege that I had, but I took every opportunity, I worked hard, 
imagine you know take the step back act on the desire to learn again to challenge again give back create impact in a different way um and i was you know i'm prepared to do to take the trade-offs to to do that the idea started percolating and how it began was again new skills learning so i retrained and this was during covid so this might sound a little wacky but i was working um at least 12 hour days so 7 a.m to 7 p.m the computer the phone going off because we were in hyper growth at Farfetch at the time right we had every partner calling us saying whatever market was being closed down at the time we need to figure out a distribution need to be selling we need to you know mitigate the risk um so it was really intense um so I was doing that homeschooling my children and at the end of the day I would crash pour a very probably too large gin and vegetate to Netflix Mm -hmm. and I was like I can't do this I can't do this on a long-term basis I had to have something for myself. So I did a bit of research and I landed on a school called IIN. It's called the Integrative um, Institute of Health in New York, of nutrition, excuse me, in New York. And it's a wonderful now platform. So their mission is to build the world's um, greatest force of, of force of health coaches. Mm-hmm. So health coaching is about prevention, not cure. It's yeah. about holistic health and it's rooted yeah. in all of those holistic wellness principles. Um, and they have some of the best most powerful ambassadors, everyone from Deepak Chopra through to Dr. Zach Bush to Dr. Mark Hyman. And their mission is big and wide and there's lots of room for innovation and they want to create that ripple effect for good. They really want people to think more realistically about their their health and their well-being. So that retraining, so I did that for a year and a half. I lost my father through that process, so it took Mm -hmm. me a little longer to to complete that um, certification but that really was then the base plate and the foundation that new skill that new learning plus the last 40 years foundation for me to start okay what's my next 20 years look like what does inner friend look like within that what's that current three-year plan that I want to start to write so is wellness sorry is wellness the new the new faith the new frontier so um, wellness and well-being are in fact different concepts Wellness is about your physical health. Well-being is the yeah. holistic, the entire um, package per se. And, um, you know, we are very comfortable talking about, say, our yoga routine. We're very mm-hmm. comfortable talking about now our mental health. But mm-hmm. we don't necessarily talk about what separates us from the non-sentient beings in our world, the physical things in our world, our consciousness, our spirit. What is that energetic force that is the difference between you and me? right Mm -hmm. that makes our experience completely different we don't talk about that in every day's our internal motivations so at inner friend we strongly believe the most important conversation that you have is the one that you have with yourself how many times have you heard that and actually probably the hardest conversation the hardest how many how many minutes a day do you spend doing that probably not very many well if you're weird like me quite a lot actually (laughs) good (laughs) you're the perfect person for me to experiment with judging myself i thought everyone (laughs) did the same thing well, this is interesting that you say judging, because I think one of the things we talk about, and I talk about in my own podcast a lot, is just the observation of yourself to be your own friend. Because you do have this constant narrative running around in your head, but do you take the time to step outside it and just observe it? And that's the hard thing mm-hmm, to do. Yeah. And I think we're lost now in a lot of optimization of self. Yes. Do the meditation to be better. Do the yoga routine to feel peace. Get in my ice bath to feel better. To feel better, but why? Right, because again, you've got to do the inner work to find out what is that next. Although, if those, if those activities didn't bring some yes. benefit, yes. then you wouldn't do them. I think. Yes, and that's that's a really important point because we are 
or physical, right? We're matter with all this energy being held in the matter. And that is a very important thing to work through. That's why those things do work because our physical body then unlocked does create more space within your body for your energy to flow more freely, which then is a fantastic receptacle for you to start to explore then that inner conversation from a more safe and secure place. I think what I'm observing is that we're coming at it purely from that physical Mm -hmm. point of view now where actually there's no reason why we couldn't start looking at it from the top down point of view which again is a hard thing a lot of people the minute they heard the word the the minute they hear the word spiritual they 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 kind of back away which is again why i want to go there because the minute you start to push to the edges of something like this that's where the new growth comes from and again back to that point of that collective growth that next stage development we're being challenged to think about that more collectively as human beings and i think that's why this is important to start that conversation because the minute you start to feel uncomfortable this is exactly why you should exactly start right. yeah. to, to, to yeah. go there so so yeah so we believe it's it's the most important conversation to have and we want to um create a mainstream conversation around the benefits of that spiritual exploration so to do that in everyday ways and do that consistently we believe faith is the new frontier we want to create tools for people to start to feel comfortable about this nature of being human our spirituality as a whole what that means collectively um your consciousness um and talking about that as i said in very everyday ways um we have observed that you know this modern human experience is very complex right Mm -hmm. we're at that peak level of consumption of media and um growth and needing to have just just consumption just consumption absolutely you couldn't have said it couldn't have said it better it's we've we've just reached that peak how much stuff could we possibly all need to consume and the division of wealth and i mean um, interestingly maybe concerning maybe covid started certainly consumptions people started to question that and Mm -hmm. the whole idea of a bit more remote working a bit more flexibility a bit more life work-life balance and consumption i think is up for question that definitely was a big um influence on me that covid experience i think that accelerated all of probably where i would have landed anyway yeah but it definitely caused me to just put the brakes on and I i i struggled for a year with that decision to leave what was a big opportunity professionally and I think if COVID wasn't in the backdrop and I wasn't f- like flung into the reality of my life and everything I was doing at the same time, I don't think I would have stopped because it was a very intense experience. And I realized how much I was doing and I realized how much I was in a hamster wheel of doing mm-hmm. and consuming. Yep. And I realized, wait, where am I going to? I'm going in a direction that I actually never wanted to yep. reach. So I had to pull back and say, right, where do I see myself in 62 years? I definitely don't see myself in the path that I'm going. It was totally, it, it, was an, it was amazingly transformative. I, de- I don't want to go back there. No, <laughs> no. But um, I'm definitely one of the lucky ones who was able to take um, a lot of positives, even as, even as I lost my father through that, thankfully not to COVID. But um, it, it, was, it was a benefit, I think, seeing that juxtaposition, that paradox up front. So then how do you see that? What's the vision for Inner Friend? So, so yeah, as I said, I think we're in a complex society growing and doing has exhausted us all external environments challenging us you know we have to be more stable in our inner experience and it's not an easy exercise that's ev- evidenced by um you know global global kind of um mental health issues and we want to create community around that sentiment we want our community to experience being versus having do- feeling versus doing now mm-hmm. versus next right that's our tagline the power to practice presence and organically 
feeling that benefit starting to influence. I was listening to a Rich Roll podcast the other day and he had a watch that just has now on it as the time. Stop it. <laughs> We're working on a, a wearable concept at the moment and I love to hear that because our proposition is that we will attempt to become a home of modern spirituality so we're trying to define what modern spirituality could look like take it out of the self-help books it's typically for baby boomers it's always been in that world the voices are older but there's a big as you said ritual there's a big surge now of divergent very well educated and experienced individuals in this space functional uh, medical leaders who um, even joe rogan right we're pushing to the edges of what is our kind of new reality so we want to kind of be part of that definition of what modern spirituality could look like. We want it to be self-guided and completely unconnected. Yes. And our wearable concept, which sits in the innovation kind of strategic side of what we're doing, is to be entirely unconnected. Um, we want it all rooted in holistic well-being principles. So you're, you know, a lot of wellness principles are about... Isn't that an oxymoron to have a wearable that's unconnected? We're figuring that out. But no, no, because... Um, we're we're trying like inner friend my inner friend is about giving you the tools yeah um we have a very very big idea of in the future i'm not going to get in it now because it's definitely a future podcast and possibly not for 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 now for the content for today around professional and past career um but yeah we do believe that there will be uh new sciences new measurement techniques that will be able to look at resonance in new ways yep. google are looking at a patent at the moment on measuring in real time human resonance to deliver therapeutics if you do your research there's a lot of very exciting things happening in that space and the way we view the world now is very transactional and the mm-hmm. fear around AI mm-hmm. that we were discussing yep. this morning again, what can they take from us to, yeah. to guide us? And, and, and I'm not disputing any of that. I don't have the answers. Who knows? But um, the vision that we have around the wearable is going to be very much built on a vision harnessing new sciences that are, that are nuanced now. And we want to try and create the behaviors of unconnectedness now. Yeah. That's the principle. Yeah. So we're very considered in everything that we do. It might seem simple, but we do... I am from my learnings appending that to a much bigger mm-hmm. vision of what it could be in the future um so yeah self-guided is really important that's why it's your inner friend my inner friend the url is my inner friend the social handles are my inner friend when you arrive at that url it's for you it's not about us demonstrating yes. to you yes. we're not here to make you better that's a key part of what we're doing we're not we're here to get you to meet yourself where you are just appreciate where you're at now and use that awareness to go forth i think a lot of time is spent in like i'm i'm fine i know where i am i need to get somewhere mm-hmm. else you, you don't necessarily if you really digest where you are now um and we want people to think about their values what what gives them joy and how can they really start thinking about driving deep internal value creation so so we're really ambitious in in what we're trying to achieve our three-year plan is very structured because i've also learned that you need some structure um and for this year what we're really focused on is trying to create some credible coaching and programming services so we want to come at that again with an innovative message so right now everything is very nascent and it's very much focusing on the communication and the presentation of the brand um and how we communicate with people and that's being well received people are like i i like this i don't know why i need it but Mm -hmm. i'm getting good re-engagement on the initial content and 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 things that we're producing it's all a la carte it's all web-based so we're focused on investing and building the infrastructure around proprietary content and messaging digital tooling creation, 
Um, again, innovation is really core for us. So we're working on a wearable concept and we have an AI companion bot that we've built that's available now on Telegram. So training that is fundamentally a digital coach. We worked with a company yes. in Singapore called Novus AI, which is a market, uh, a platform to help people build bots essentially on ChatGBT. Uh, so that they can, for their businesses, have better bots than you know the current yep. kind of e-commerce yep. bots, but also think about other use cases for that, which would be this. Um, so, so we have two. Yeah, we've innovation is a big, strong uh, kind of principle of what we want to build into for the future. Because, as I said, the world's transforming, and we want to we want to help our audience and our community learn through us and have access to those new things and maybe demystif demystify it for them mm -hmm. slightly. Um, a pair of mine said, you know, it's really interesting. I'm not sure I really care about BFF. I'm not sure I'm going to go to BFF and talk to BFF, but I really like the fact that I could. Yes. And I, if I, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not proficient. I'm not digitally savvy. This AI word just, you know, brings me out in fear. And I, I don't even know where to begin with the concept of chat GBT, but I might go and just, have a play just for that alone and i appreciate that so it's like okay that's interesting right there is there is a um an opportunity there to again open up people's minds and start to um enter into inner friend possibly through new innovation in a different way so that's a big integral layer of what we do yeah i think ai will be as disruptive as the software i think it will yes. be, be unbelievably disruptive yes unbelievably so and the tools that i'm using now are really quite sophisticated and wonderful and and what i keep saying to people is they're really easy yeah. You actually they're easier yeah. than anything that you used before. So from the worlds of architecture, design, you know, um, graphic design, they're really simplifying a lot of that world. So that's that's interesting and, and definitely going to radicalize a lot of that. Um, so yeah, the other areas we're focusing on is, is key partnership development. As I'd learned that you need the right partners to help grow your community and you want to learn with them. We'll establish our social presence and our communications on that and yeah, build out a, a small e-commerce um, offering. Um, again, very curated, very much built on learning and um, understanding what what products will complement the message. So not selling for selling sake, yep. but products that yep. we have that complement the content that, that I lives guess in the that's platform. the authenticity, isn't it, in that case? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, we're, we're experimenting, we're testing learning this year, and um, response to date has been positive. So slowly and surely, you know, we're, we're way out there in the 20 years if we can be a global spiritual platform offering that's, you know, a mainstream destination for people to help or to help people live kinder, more enriched daily experiences. Like, you know, I, again, I said, I wanted to take a risk and step back and maybe create impact in a different way. You've got to, you've got to, they've got to sound silly to you, mm -hmm. those big, yeah. those big moments. So that's, yeah. that's um, where we're going with it. So, um, yeah, nascent stages, but very excited and, and good feedback so far. So, yeah, so visit myinnerfriend.com, listen to the podcast on Spotify, launching on Apple this week. And we have a email perspective at innerfriend.com and, and email us and let us know what you think. Fantastic. Now, I'm very wary of time. And as my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. Okay, so give I can them take, to me. <laughs> I can take one at a time. Okay. Um, I forgot it, about these. <laughs> it may, it may, it may have come out already. But your greatest inspiration and mentor? Okay, um, so I think that yeah, back to yeah, back to that time in New York. I think my greatest inspiration, or my greatest yeah, my greatest inspiration is the fact that the learning, the knowledge that we are more capable than we know we are. We must remind ourselves of that. You are definitely able to go deeper than you think you are. 
Um, and when I was at my lowest ebb, um, a, a hugely important influence in my life who, if he is listening, will hopefully be able to self-select himself. I was having a really hard time. I made the right decision, but I communicated it really badly. Yeah. And it was a dark time. And they said to me, look, remember, it is always darkest before the dawn. Yeah. Like it's a coined term. And I was like, you're right. I can go deeper here. Like it's just around the corner. So, so yeah, that's an inspiration for me. That's something I learned from all of those mentors, those early mentors. Push a little harder, go a little deeper. All you're going to do is learn a little bit more. Come out of that kind of pain body. Forget about what's happening to you. Think mm -hmm. about what's happening for you. All those kind of now cliched, but really yeah. powerful thinking. Um, and so that that was that. That's probably my biggest learning. You're more capable than you think you are. And then a book which has inspired you. Um, this is a hard one because I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I consume a lot of digital media and documentaries. And I think it's not a book that's inspired me, but it's a, the book that caused me to pivot. Yeah. And it's called uh, Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Now, he's polarizing. I won't say controversial. People will say pseudoscience. Some people will say transformative. I find the book fascinating. It definitely opened me up to new ways of thinking, which I love. And it definitely was a book that I bought it for all my team at Farfetch at the mm -hmm. time. And I said, just open your minds. Please think differently. Remember you're bigger than you are. Remember that you're more capable than you are. But there's far more here that we just, you know, we're only at the beginning of learning about. And that's really powerful, like contextualize the bigger perspective. So, yeah. So that book, I think, is worth a read for anybody at any stage and definitely was pivotal for me. So it caused me to pivot faster than I thought I would. Okay, and you've already very kindly given an awful lot of advice, but what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? Um, I think it's back to that original point I made at the beginning of um, if you don't know your passion, learn how to do things, learn how to execute, just get it done. Show people that you know that you know, you know, the value of saying what you say you would do and do it well. And then you'll find your passion and the two will, the two you, will meet. Because what you're doing there is you're learning. Yep. right you're pushing to execute on something which is really hard right so you're given something you do it that's hard do it well even harder do it well to add value to get people to come back even harder so there's degrees of this yep. and through all of those degrees you will consistently learn more about yourself and as you said your passion what your gifts are what you're able to then share back both professionally and personally will start to become very clear and i think you know the the, the kids that i would interview i shouldn't say that the individuals that i'd interview um in my early days and even now you know there's a lot of talk about wanting to progress early and when you're young you know there's yes. a lot of focus on, on running that. before you can walk absolutely and i think it you know i would see the individual in front of me and what they're hearing is i'm just keeping you back and i think the narrative should be like this is an, a, a marathon, not a sprint. Your career here is only just a tiny microcosm of your entire life experience. You're really here. It's not about just the simple growth mindset and those very kind of HR-driven presentations around how to become kind of effective at the workplace. This is a much bigger, exciting mm. journey. Take the time to listen to yourself, to me, to your peers. Start to observe a bit more. You're gaining knowledge. You're gaining experience. And that definitely doesn't happen because you got... 90% plus on your yep. performance review. Yep. Um, and that now means you're, you're growing into the next level. Of course, all of these things have to happen, but the context and the positioning of it, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. So yeah, so learn how to execute and your passion will be revealed because you're learning. Focus on learning. Um, focus on learning and doing that in a holistic sense. Who you are, where you want to be, not what you can do and what you can achieve in a, in a short time frame. And then just to reiterate, how can listeners get in touch with you? So um, yeah, uh, 
the, the website is myinnerfriend.com. Uh, please listen to the podcast on Spotify. Yep. Um, again, under My Inner Friend. Um, and the social channels are My Inner Friend on Instagram for now. Um, and DM or email at perspective at innerfriend.com with any feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Isabel, this has been inspirational. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.